A reading from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, beginning at the fourth verse. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may maintain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. These are our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. As you see printed in our bulletin, our lectionary this morning actually begins not just with verse 4, as Chris said, though that's not wrong, it does begin with verse 4, but in the middle of verse 4. Our lectionary writers started the passage with 4B. Curious. Why would they start in the middle of a verse? What are they leaving off? These are the kinds of questions that send me again and again to the Bible. I guess there are worse reasons to read it. So beginning with the first verse of the chapter we read, Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is not troublesome to me, and for you it is a safeguard. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of those who mutilate the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who worship the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. 
even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh. And then we begin with the passage. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. I'll continue. Sometimes it might be better to leave well enough alone. No wonder they left this out. Paul is calling some of his religious companions dogs, evil workers, mutilators of the flesh. I'd like to scold Paul for his language, but he's in good biblical company. You'll remember that Jesus calls a woman a dog. He calls his religious leaders hypocrites and blind fools. He calls poor Peter Satan. John the Baptist has all kinds of insults that he flings at his religious companions, including one that Jesus also uses, brood of vipers. I once read a biblical scholar who argued that this insult should be translated as snake bastards. <laughs> Can't really hear it any other way now. The psalmists and the prophets are constantly calling people fools and vile. I could continue. So even though Paul is not an exception with the biblical name calling, I see why the creators of the lectionary would want to leave this part out. But when we add in these opening verses, they drive us to learn more about the context of these insults. Paul sounds really arrogant at the start of this passage. If anyone has reasons to boast, it's me, he declares, and then gives us a list. Maybe he is arrogant. He's also defensive. He's being attacked by fundamentalists who are questioning his legitimacy and who object to his understanding of scripture. The fundamentalists insist that all the laws in the Bible be followed exactly the way they say they should be. And so, for example, they're demanding that all men must be circumcised. They want the Bible interpreted the way they think it should be interpreted, and they have no room for any other interpretations. They believe in the infallibility of Scripture, and they see Paul as a heretic. And so Paul takes on the fundamentalists. Imagine this as a series of tweets. They say he doesn't know what he's talking about, and he isn't a legitimate spokesperson, and so he tweets back exactly where they can stick it, and then, for good measure, sends a list of his exemplary credentials. Okay, let's pause here. It could sound like Paul is attacking Judaism. He is not. Paul is a Jew. Listen. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul is a Jew, and he is upset with Jewish fundamentalists. This is a family fight. We understand this. Paul was once a fundamentalist himself. So much so that, as he notes, he was persecuting the followers of Jesus. But then he encountered Christ, and he changed. Paul describes his reversal of values. He's not abandoning scripture, let alone abandoning God, but he is abandoning fundamentalist theology. 
theology obsessed with one right way to do and be. Paul finds freedom. Paul's understanding of God shifts, and he is experiencing a lot of love and generosity and grace. Without throwing away his own religion, Paul nevertheless throws away a theology. A theology that had made him important and given him great status. And I've never liked Paul more. He can come and sit by me. I was poised, you see, to become the next leader of the Tennessee Baptist WMU. That's Women's Mission Union. I was published in the Baptist Reflector, the Tennessee Baptist newspaper, multiple times. I was a GA, and then an Actine, and then an Actine Activator. Don't worry if you don't speak Southern Baptist. Just know I was once somebody in that world. I was invited to share my testimony at the annual meeting. I was acknowledged as a young leader. I was encouraged again and again just to stay the course. I was a rising star. But I didn't stay the course. And I'll speak for myself. It was a huge relief and also terribly painful. Some of you know just what I'm talking about. Some of you were conservative or fundamentalist or evangelical or whatever words you might use to describe yourselves, and you changed. And then at some point, the change in you had to be reflected in a change of churches. And that change meant rupturing relationships it meant saying no to the future you thought you would have and the future that others expected of you. Sometimes I imagine that other life, the one where I stayed Southern Baptist, the one where Thanksgiving with my family is easy and all those difficult conversations are not needed. Paul's theological change cost him a great deal. He wrote this letter from house arrest in Rome. He's been in and out of prison since he left Philippi 10 years ago after planting this church. He no longer has all the answers. His list of accomplishments, it's meaningless to him now. He considers his list rubbish. Though the Greek word here is a lot stronger than rubbish. You can find it translated sometimes as Dung. That's because they're afraid to say shit. <laughs> but since I already said snake bastards, I might as well. Paul is salty. Maybe you didn't know this about Paul, but he is. Paul considers his fundamentalist accomplishments shit. I was given some dung, no doubt. Many, many youth camp experiences would fall into the category of dung, and I'm not ready to reject it all. I've come a long way on this. I've come to realize that the churches that raised me taught me to love God, and while their ideas about God were so angry and restricting, found, nevertheless, a zeal for theology and a seeking after the things of God. I found ways to engage in theological debate. I learned a lot of scripture. I'm glad I left, and I'm grateful for the journey.
It's true that I no longer list GAs or Actines or sword drill awards for my publications in the Baptist Reflector. I don't list them on my resume. They're not on my bio. I, like Paul, no longer strive for those gains. But unlike Paul, I wouldn't call them rubbish. Paul has strong opinions. We're reading his mail, and we see many places where his thoughts and opinions and theology continue to shift. He sifts through his theology and his certainties. And all along the way, he states that as people of God, we're called to pursue justice, we're called to honor our neighbors, and that we do this in freedom, freedom of the love of God. Having given up some of his black and white thinking, some of his concrete ideas and ideals born in fundamentalism, Paul now knows that he is not fully arrived. He knows that this is a process of discovery and that he's on a journey. He says it this way. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the gold for the prize of the heavenly calling of Christ Jesus. There's something truly ironic about the fact that Christian fundamentalists love Paul so much. It makes me wonder if they understand who Paul is calling a dog. It seems clear to me that Paul would use the same word to describe Christian fundamentalists as he does to describe the fundamentalists of his own religion. Fundamentalism in any religion is problematic. It so often leads to religious extremism and violence. Bill Moyers has said, the red thread of religiously spilled blood runs directly from east of Eden to Belfast, Bosnia, Beirut, and Baghdad. At times, the litany is horrendous. We all know the headlines. Hindus and Muslims on the brink of war in Kashmir. Serbian Christians stand trial for atrocities against Bosnian Muslims. Murder trial begins for fundamentalist Christian minister of an abortion doctor. Moyers were making this list now, he would no doubt include gunmen blaming religion for their acts of violence. And then there's the religious extremism of climate change deniers and those shouting religious freedom to deny people dignity, choice, and civil rights. Fundamentalism often leads to more personal violence and abuse when families and communities disown their own. At the very least, confining and limiting understandings of God are oppressive. Well, 
long before I knew anything about Covenant Church or any churches like this one, long before I knew Marcus Ford or Amy Jill Levine, I knew the answers I was getting at church about God felt too confining, both for God and for me. I know that there are others like me for whom the answers are too tight, too controlled and controlling, too limiting. I know we have work to do to show the expansive love of God. And I know, too, that for some, this is a matter of life and death. And so this day, I pray that we'll join Paul in pressing toward freedom, toward openness, toward knowing God's endless, expansive love. Amen.